0: Uh, so we are in the middle of our series. Well, actually, we're at the end of our series called Jesus Calling. And all we're doing in this series is tracing the voice of Jesus throughout the entire scriptures. And, and this has been a really cool series. It's been different because normally, if you're familiar with church, you come in. We read a passage of scripture that Dahlia beautifully read. We read that and then I preach out of that passage. Well, throughout this series, all our passages have been kind of anchor texts for us because what we're doing is what's called a biblical theology throughout the entire Bible. We couldn't preach the entire Bible in 15 weeks if we did passages like that. So this is actually how Peter preaches in the book of Acts. He says, hey, look, God's been chasing you guys, and his first sermon is a biblical theology. He says, we started here. We went here. He traces that Jesus is, is, or that God is sending Jesus to come rescue us, and then, I, was it two thousand thousands of people get saved on that day because of that? Um, Paul preaches like this. Stephen preaches like this in in, in Acts. So it's going to feel a little different if you've grown up in church or you're used to church. If you're, if this is one of your first times in church, then um, yeah, this is just another way to preach a sermon. So. What we've been doing is tracing themes throughout the entire Bible. And we're, we're just following Jesus. So we're following the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the rescuer throughout the scriptures. And we're also uh, uh, looking at discipleship. And at Trinity Life Church, our paradigm of discipleship, it's not a class. The way you grow in your faith is not through a course necessarily or anything like that. It's just three simple words, hear, trust, obey. And, and those don't necessarily happen in steps. Those happen when you hear God's voice, you trust it and obey it. That's, that's just uh, your relationship with, with Jesus in a nutshell. Just hearing his voice, it's learning who he is and, and walking in obedience. So we're going to talk about both of those things today. But we're towards the end of our series, so I kind of want to recap at the beginning and, and take you through... And then add a couple things into it. So this morning, if you haven't figured out from the songs, uh, we're talking about the Spirit of Christ. So we'll get to the Spirit of Christ in a second. But these are all the themes we've been through throughout our series. And so I'm just going to give you a picture of the Bible right now. Uh, just an entire story. Because the Bible is, is a story. Okay, it is, It's a story of God pursuing us to bring us back to him okay it's a love story in its essence it's it's not a relig- the bible is not a religious book in the sense of it's telling you what to do in your life and what not to do okay a lot of people who are anti-religious they say "Why well, i don't want things to constrain me the bible isn't about that the bible is just saying god loves you and he wants you and like don't even worry about that other stuff right now um and so most of us misinterpret the scriptures because we take just pieces of the scripture, okay? We hear, we hear one verse on this, and we're like, oh, that's the Bible, and we've ripped it out of its context. And as a church, we, have a whole, we do a horrible job of giving truth to our culture, our society, our city out of context. So we say, you shouldn't be living like that. Okay, that may be a truth, but when you tell somebody that out of, a con- out of the context of a story, it becomes extremely unpalatable. They don't care whether it's truth or not. They just don't want to hear it. And the reality is we can't expect anybody to live up to what God says is his ideal if they don't even believe in who Jesus is. So we can't condemn people for that. Um, if you're going to condemn anybody, look at yourself and look at the person sitting next to you who's a Christian. Um, like, look at me. And you can, you can rebuke me, but our, our job isn't to, to necessarily do that out, out in the world apart from the story of scriptures, okay? And we've become great at giving true statements uh, uh, ripped out of its context. So the whole point of this series was to say, this is the story. And it's not just the story of the Bible. This is your story. This is the story of the world. This is the story of creation. This is the story of the universe. God is pursuing you. And hopefully, throughout this series, you've found yourself in this story, because that's what the Bible is written for. And the Bible makes no qualms about saying that it is uh, authoritarian in this sense—that this is the story of the world. Okay, um, and and so we should look at it that way, because that's that's the way the Bible talks about the story. That God's perspective is the one that matters. So this is where we started. Uh, and I'm going to insert the Spirit of Christ into each of these because I want you to see that the Spirit of Christ, even though we're talking about Him now, He's been there all along. Okay? So we started out with Christ creates, talked about the image of God, that you were created a certain way. God placed His image in you very personally, very intimately. He placed His image in you, and you're designed to look like God. You're know, like, well, we all look different. Well, not physically. We're designed to look like God in the way we act, the way uh, our attributes, you know, that you're kind and, and good and that uh, you're generous and that you're loving. Like, we're designed to look this way. We're designed to exercise things the way God exercises dominion over the world. He says, you have dominion over the world now. Now live out and take care of this place. Um, so we're designed to look like God in those ways. Um, and he gives us that cultural mandate that we talked about where we're, we're designed to create culture not designed just to absorb culture, guys, and to take what, what, um, what uh, our city gives us. We're actually designed to create it, to, to be salt and light, to, um, to be his representatives in this world that was perfect and good in Christ creates. And the really cool thing is when God creates us, he says he forms us from the dust of the ground, which is highly distinct from how he creates the animals. Um, He forms us, and he it's it's almost like this molding type thing, instead of God speaking a lot of things here and there in existence. He actually intimately makes us and then he breathes the spirit of life into us. And that's how that's how we become alive. He he breathes into us. It's almost like God kisses us and awakes us. It's like a Disney movie. It's like Prince Charming and Sleeping Beauty or Snow White. Like God, it's so intimate, God breathes into us. Hold on to that. Um, then the promised Christ we went into. Um, Christ creates. We don't know how long that, hap- that, that beautiful scene happens with creation and perfection. But we do know that Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, choose um, evil. They, they don't choose what God says is good. Now... God gives them so much good to choose from. Okay, they've been placed in this garden, and their, their good choices, the, the choices for good for them are bounteous. They're plentiful. They're they they may be infinite. Who knows? Um, there, there's so many good choices, but then he says, I don't want you to I don't want to force you to love me. I want to give you a choice. So you can choose between good or bad. You can choose to say, I believe in God or I don't believe in God. I believe you know what's good for me, God. And I believe I know what's good for me, God. So he gives them one tree where he says, this is the, the evil choice. Don't eat of this tree. They can choose out of thousands of trees, millions of trees. And one tree is the evil choice. So he makes the good choice even more plentiful than the evil one. Eventually, Adam and Eve say, God, you don't know what's best for us. We know what's best for us. And they choose to eat of that tree. Like I've said in the past, the tree's probably not inherently evil. It, it isn't inherently evil. What's evil is the choice. That they said, God, we know what's good for us. And now we determine what's right or wrong. We determine what's good or evil. Does this sound familiar? This is, this is kind of the culture we live in. This is postmodern culture. Um, that, that, that absolute truth is, is relative. Um, there is no absolute truth. Truth is relative. And anyway, so I actually think, I won't get into this, but we kind of live in a post postmodern culture. Seth and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago. Um, Anyways, so uh, this is their choice. They choose evil. And creation is marred. The image of God in them is marred. But guess what? The image of God isn't extinguished. The image of God that's in them is still there. So we still act kind and good and generous and those things. But it's still, it's marred by sin. Okay? And all of creation has been marred by sin. Cultures, there's culture that is good There's culture that is not good. There's, there's roses are pretty, but now roses have thorns. Like you get the picture there. So, um, and then the tree of life is there. We talked about that. Uh, And then God promises a rescuer for them, who's going to embody this spirit, who's going to bring the spirit. So then we move to the priesthood of Christ. There's a covenant that God establishes. There's a mediator. And he begins to, the Bible begins to develop this idea of a rescuer, of a savior, of a Messiah, of someone who's going to come and, i um, <coughs> sorry, and take away our sin. And uh, this is someone who's going to, who's, who's going to embody the spirit. And before you, before uh, we see Jesus, we see a couple people rise up, a guy named Moses rises up, and God's spirit is on him. And he does things that no one has ever seen before because God's spirit is with him. God's spirit is on him. This is the guy who saves Israel out of Egypt. And we have the plagues. We have the Red Sea parting. We have the burning, he's talking to a burning bush. We have uh, manna. We have, you know, all these miracles happen uh, in Moses, uh, through Moses, because the spirit of the Lord is on him. Uh, The power of the Lord is on him. And, and then we have someone like Joshua come up, who is Moses' protege, and same thing. The Bible talks about him having the spirit of the Lord. So we start to understand what the spirit is, and then um, we go to the kingdom of Christ, and uh, the people get a king, and the first king, his name is Saul, and the prophet Samuel uh, anoints Saul, and he says, I anoint you with oil, but God is anointing you with the spirit of the Lord, with his spirit. And the Bible literally says that Saul becomes a new man. He becomes a new person. And that's what the Spirit does. He transforms everything. He transforms you. He takes what was uh, broken and he makes it whole. He takes what was messed up and he cleans it up. And so with Saul, he makes him a new man when the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. But all these guys, Moses, Joshua, Saul, the judges, all these guys, they fail. So it's almost like, is this the guy? You're like, is this the guy who's going to come rescue us? Is this the person? Is this is this the one? And then they mess up. They sin, and you see that they're still marred by something. So we're still anticipating. When you're reading the Bible, you're anticipating the coming of this person. And and then you kind of get let down. And the Bible is a series of, is this the person? No. Is this the person? No. Is this? And it, it goes up and down. Then we get to the cost of Christ, the people of God, 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 identifies the people um, not because they're greater than anyone else but actually because they're the least of the people in the world he takes israel and the bible says in amos that you are the least of people there's nothing special about you that's why i chose you to make my power made known through you and but the people they also fail and they go into exile and they experience the consequences of their sin and they transgress uh these covenants and then god sends a prophet named ezekiel in ezekiel chapter 36 he sends his prophet And he says, guess what, guys, when you return from exile, God's going to make a way for you. You can't atone for your sin. You can never do it on your own, but God can do it. And he's going to take your heart of stone, your hard heart of sin, and he's going to replace it with a malleable heart, a heart of flesh. And he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to put myself in you. And there's no longer you'll need a priest, no longer you'll need to go and do sacrifices, because I'm going to be in you. And I'll make that way for you. And, it's, and it, it goes in this theme of we never have to do anything to get to God. God is always trying to get to us. Religion says you got to be good. you got to do this. you gotta, you got to balance your scales. The Christian faith says it's not about that. The Christian faith says it's all about what Jesus has done for you and what God is going to do for you. And that's what he's an- anticipating throughout the whole Old Testament as this, this person who's going to come and, and make a way for everybody. So that happens in the cost of Christ. The call of Christ is, is uh, where I talked about. Did I do that sermon? I did that one, right? You did cost it. Someone did that. Uh, maybe it was Daniel. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, the call of Christ, where it shows that Jesus is doing this for us uh, or that the Christ will do this for us. And yeah. Um, and then, oh, yep, I came in on the prophetic Christ. So the prophetic Christ is, is just talking about that Jesus is going to look like this. So Isaiah 52-53 to 53 is what I preached through there and it's saying, Jesus is going to look like this. He's going to take the weight of our sin and it's going to show that he's a worthy Savior. Okay? And I said in there, if you realize the weight of your sin, you'll realize the worth of your Savior. Um, and he embodies his spirit. Isaiah chapter 11 talks about the spirit in a really unique way and says that the guy who's going who's gonna to take this away from us, he's going to embody this spirit and knowledge and understanding and and he goes through this list of things. And then the coming of Christ, I talked about where Jesus just changes everything. We see for the first time what a person fully lived in the Spirit of Christ looks like. And Jesus sets an example for us to say, if you fully live in the Spirit, this is what your life would look like. And Jesus embodies that. And then talked about the bride of Christ. Um, this is all about the unity of the spirit. If we die together, we're going to thrive together. If we die to our old way of life, we're going to thrive in a new life together. And then Archie uh, did an amazing job last week talking about the mission of Christ. Then uh, he really just talked about God's mission through Jesus in us. So God's mission has been promising the Christ through Jesus, but now that mission is lived out through us. Okay, because Jesus resurrected from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And we are the church, we're the bride of Christ, we are here to live out the mission of God. Um, and then today we're talking about the Spirit of Christ, and then next week I'll end with Christ Restores, and how Christ is going to restore uh, everything. And, and that, those are the bookends, Christ creates, then Christ restores um, to the Bible. So that's, that's an overview of the scriptures for you guys. Uh, hopefully that wasn't, that, that wasn't too fast, but I do want to get to the passage eventually. Um, let me read to you Ezekiel chapter, chapter 37. This is, this is out, we'll have it on the screen. This is really an amazing passage that shows us what the Spirit, what the Spirit of Christ is, is really about. So it says here, "...the hand of the Lord was upon me." This is Ezekiel talking. "...and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley." So, just a quick note, you don't see it on here, but if you have uh, an actual Bible in your hand or on your phone, uh, you would see that the, uh, that the word Lord is in all caps, lowercase capital, capital letters. Uh, just a word on that, that whenever you see that in the scriptures, it refers to the personal name of God in Exodus chapter 3, Yahweh, okay? Um, so, the, instead of, instead of, I guess, transliterating it, they just did Lord in all caps, so whenever you see that, it's talking about a personal relationship with God and that God has been pursuing is so that he wants to be with us personally. Um, so this is it. When it says the spirit of the Lord in all caps, this is highly personal. And so verse, uh, yeah, verse one, he sent me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. Verse two, and he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath, that word there is spirit uh, in Hebrew. I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you. And, and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath, spirit, in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So, as I prophesied, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood to their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, and behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'll open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I'll bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise from your graves, O my people. In verse 14, and I'll put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I'll place you in your own land. The land in the Old Testament represents God's presence and his peace and his rest he says, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. And that's a picture of the Spirit and what the Spirit does to us. And what is so amazing, so cool, I told you to hang on to the first part where Christ creates and God breathes life into us at the beginning. Jesus is here. And so in the Old Testament, we see instances of the Spirit of the Lord, right? Spirit comes upon this person. And they do something powerful and amazing. The Spirit comes on this person, do something powerful and amazing. But the Spirit leaves. It's, it's, the Spirit isn't always there. When Jesus comes, he tells his disciples, I'm going to send somebody in my place to be here for you, to lead you in a truth, to encourage you, to be your helper, to, to, do, to show you how to live this life. And he says, this is the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus dies, he is raised from the grave and then he begins to appear to his disciples and he appears to his disciples in the book of John towards the end and, and he says to them, I'm going I'm to give you this person now. And guess what Jesus does? He breathes on them. And he breathes the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, onto his disciples and now they have new life. And it's a direct allusion to ezekiel 37 to uh what what god does for us in genesis chapter 2 and breathing life into us and so it's this picture that when you believe in jesus and you and and you accept uh his death and resurrection and ascension to heaven you accept those things his spirit comes in you it's breathed into you to uh bring new life to your bones to your dry bones to your heart of stone He's giving you a heart of flesh that is now soft and malleable, and, um, and now you have new life. And that's the picture of the Holy Spirit. And I love that imagery. Um, do you know that uh, you smell what you eat like, or you, you smell what, like what you eat? Um, this is why we have stereotypes for different countries. So you go to different countries. Missy and I, we've traveled uh, extensively since we've been married. I don't know, 19 or 20 countries, something like that. Um, we love traveling, and every country has a distinct smell. And every, and actually, the um, Heathrow has picked up on this. So if you walk through the Heathrow airport, they have a globe with scents. Uh, they, they, if you push a button, they, they push out a scent from that that country, and it's supposed to represent like what you would smell if you're walking the streets of that country. Um, so, but this is why we get the stereotypes that. Um, Italians smell like garlic because they have garlic and everything. Or that South Asian South Asians smell like curry. <laughs> Seth is like, no, 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 <laughs> it's a stereotype. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is why you know people say um, Americans smell like McDonald's when you go overseas. Like Americans smell like grease or beef. Brits smell like beef because uh, they so. Um, because what you eat, uh, that's the scent you're going to put off. Uh, when I was growing up, well, not when I was growing well, I love chips. Like, anything chippy, like potato chips or like any flavor. Uh, I don't know. I have a thing. Like, I don't love sweets. I mean, I, I can eat some dessert now and then, but um, like for dessert, I'd rather have chips. It's kind of weird. Um, so growing up, I would always uh, sneak into the kitchen while my mom was making, while my mom was making uh, dinner. And in a, in a couple of our homes growing up, we had like a walk-in pantry. So I would sneak in while her back was to me, open the pantry door, and then go in there and just like devour a bag of chips. And then I would like wait, and then I'd sneak out. And and then she wouldn't see me, and I'd back out. And I come in for dinner, and she's like, "Did you eat chips?" I'm like, <laughs> "What? Uh, no." <laughs> uh, but sh- what do you think she could she could smell it? It's not like I had crumbs all over me. She could smell it on my breath. She could smell it on me, um, and she just knew. I thought that would stop when I got married, because I was like, "I got freedom now," but. Sometimes I'll be eating chips, and then Missy will come in, and I'm like, what? She's like, we're eating chips? (laughs) So now Missy does it to me. Um, She doesn't do it as much in a condemning way as my mom, but I feel guilty because I know I shouldn't be eating that that many chips. Um, But same thing. Like, she could just smell it, right? And Paul picks up on this truth that... Uh, what we ingest in our lives, we give off in our lives. Okay, because he says in Second Corinthians chapter two, he says, "We are the aroma of Christ. If you are in Christ, you give off the aroma of Christ because His Spirit dwells in you now." Problem is, and there, and think about the word aroma. Aroma is like. When you hear aroma, it's like a striking smell. It's like the aroma of coffee, right? It's the aroma of the street meat vendor, which I love. (laughs) It's the aroma, like it's something that strikes you. Um, So he he says when we hear the aroma, when when someone smells the aroma of Christ, it should strike them as, wow, something's different here. But the problem is, although we have the spirit of Christ in us, if we're followers of Jesus, we do so much ingesting of other things that we begin to quench the Spirit in us. This is why Paul says in Thessalonians, do not quench the Spirit. Because we begin to quench the Spirit in us. And so the aroma we're we're giving off isn't the aroma of Christ anymore, or it's a distorted view of what what Christ should be. And we're distorting that view by what we ingest. I'm not going to go off on on things that that we ingest. Um, I'll let the Spirit in you convict you on those things, but just think about what you ingest on a daily basis through um, uh, media, through music, through um, television, through news, through friends, through family, through, you know, and I'm not just saying what you watch or listen to, I'm just saying also what you believe. Someone says, you're not good enough for that job, don't interview for it. Then you begin to believe you're not good enough. Like that's, that's not, that's ingesting something of this world, not ingesting something of the Spirit. And Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we need to be continually filled with the Spirit. Even though we have the Spirit in us and the fullness of the Spirit, there's still this element where we're continually filled with the Spirit. And we're going to talk about what that means a little later. But let's go to this, this passage. Um, identity in Christ is huge, guys. Um, this is Trinity Life's vision statement, Discovering Your Identity and Destiny in Christ influencing our city in the world, and most of us can't get past that first part. We don't really understand our identity in Christ, so we don't even, we can't even use that to inform our purpose in Christ, and we can't even influence our city in the world because we don't really understand our identity. It seems like every counseling situation I'm in always comes back to people understanding their identity. Uh, people come to me for counseling all the time and they want me to fix their problems and I can do that. I can put a band-aid on your finances. I can put a band-aid on your marriage. Um, but you can deal with your financial issues but if you don't realize your identity in Christ, then you're going to have another issue somewhere down the road. Or you'll have financial issues again. Or marriage issues. Or uh, you can put any any issue in there that I deal with. Um, so it seems like it always goes down to someone not not knowing who they are in Jesus and what that means for them. And and, uh, Paul deals with that in this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3, that we'll go over. But I want you to remember this, well, this statement too, but then the next statement as well um, as I go over 1 Corinthians 1 through 3. You will only understand your identity in Christ as much as you experience the spirit of Christ. Okay? Okay? We talk about identity in Christ all the time, um, but many of us don't know how to get there. Okay, You're only going to understand your identity in Christ. As, and see the words understand and experience, you're only going to know your identity in Christ as much as you actually live and experience out things through the spirit of Christ. Okay, And this is what, what Paul is getting at. So in 1 Corinthians 1, he begins, this is a new church in, in the city of Corinth, and he begins by telling them, that uh, they need to understand their identity in Christ. And he tells them, this is who Jesus is. And he, he kind of uh, juxtaposes and contrasts the wisdom of this world with the wisdom of God. And he says, the world looks at us and they think they're a bunch of fools. And that's true. That's a true statement, guys. The world looks at the church and, and thinks, it's just foolish, what, what we believe is foolish. And think about it. Um, we believe that a man 2,000 years ago, who we say is God, came from heaven, was born of a virgin, became a person, lived a perfect life, and that his death as a criminal on a gruesome cross saves everybody in the world for all time if they believe in him. That sounds ludicrous. I mean, I didn't believe it right away. Adam definitely didn't believe it right away. <laughs> My wife didn't believe it right away. Uh, when I first talked about uh, the gospel with Missy, I was like, hey, so you, do you want to get saved? She's like, No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you just said. It sounds crazy. It, it's just, it's just kind of it, crazy apart from the story. Okay? The story helps it make sense. Because we see in the story of the Bible that, that God is always pursuing us. We, we see that Jesus is God, so he's perfect. That he has to take on something imperfect if he's going to make it perfect— which is sin, our flesh is what's been marred. He's got to take it, and he's got to make it perfect. The only one that can make it perfect is not someone who just lives perfectly, but someone who's lived perfectly eternally. And he's the only one who can do that for everybody. Okay? So it actually makes perfect sense. And the problem with, with this is it makes perfect sense to us now, if you're a follower of Jesus. It still doesn't make perfect sense those who don't believe and Paul is, is pointing this out because there's still an element of faith guys and faith doesn't it, faith is not contra to reason faith is actually uh, it bolst, it bolsters reason faith goes beyond reason okay it's not contra to it so if you have an issue if you have issues with that faith actually just just goes a little past reason and pushes it forward So, um, and the early church fathers pick up on this, and one of my favorite statements um, in all of church history is by a guy named Anselm, and he says, uh, and he's picking this up from the early church fathers, from from Augustine, but but he kind of made it more, anyways, so he says, I believe in order to understand. I don't seek understanding in order to believe. One of the issues is we, in, in our world, is everyone's trying to seek understanding in order, they want to understand the whole thing in order to believe. He says, the gospel doesn't work like that. Because Paul's saying it's foolishness to those who are perishing. He says, you actually have to just believe first. Just believe in Jesus first, and then you're going to understand. He's, and the father, uh, the church fathers pick up on this, and they, they that's why they make that statement. So, Paul here is doing that in chapter 1 and he's saying this is who you are in Jesus and he's encouraging them, he's pushing them forward. And then in chapter 2 is where he talks about the spirit. And he says here, uh, this is the passage that Dalia read. He says here that uh, the person who has the spirit of God, they can know the spirit of God. They can know spiritual things. They can discern spiritual things. This is belief in order to understand. The person who does not have the spirit, spirit of God they can't understand spiritual things because they don't have the spirit. They're operating out of the flesh, the, the word here is used. They're the, it says uh, the, they translated they a natural person. It could be translated fleshly or a carnal person um, because they're operating out of the flesh, not out of the spirit, the spiritual person. It says the only one who can do that is the person who's received the spirit of the living God. And guess what, guys? That has nothing to do with you. All it is, is everything Jesus has done for us, you say, I want to believe that. And then you get the spirit of Christ, okay? And then you live out your journey of faith. It's it's nothing you do that's going to give you that spirit who dwells in you. Um, but there are some things you can do to experience the spirit of Christ more greatly. We'll get to that in a second. Um, because, you uh, verse or chapter 2 here is really about uh, Paul saying, you each get to experience the spirit of Christ individually. That when you become a follower of Jesus, he gives you the fullness of the spirit in you. You don't share the spirit, uh, like I don't share a piece of the spirit with Adam, and, and Adam shares a piece of it with Peter, Peter shares it with Emily, And Emily shares it with Heather, and and so on and so forth. Okay? Uh, We all get the fullness of the Spirit in us. But here's the cool thing. In chapter 3, he says, but we experience this collectively as well. And that's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the family of God, the household of God, all metaphors for the church. This is the beauty of living in community because he says, you were never, ever, ever meant to live in isolation or alone you're always meant to live in community isolation is dangerous you're meant to live in community and he says here in in first first corinthians 3 chapter 16 he says you plural the church are the temple of god and some scholars think there's a distinction between two words of temple in, in greek here um, one meaning the entire temple the temple had a courtyard it had an outer courtyard it had an inner courtyard had like all these spaces, kind of concentric squares or circles going in. And then the other word for temple that's used in, in 1 Corinthians 3 means the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies is what it was called in the Old Testament, where God's presence dwelled, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where, where only the high priest goes in. And that is, where, uh, uh, that is what Paul is saying we are now as a church, we are that holy of holies. We are where God's presence dwells among us collectively. And that's beautiful. So, but I know what you're asking, how do you experience more of the Spirit? If, okay, we is cool, but how do you experience more of the Spirit? Two things here. Paul says in chapter four, he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants of Christ, Innately, inherently, in that word is humility, is us recognizing that there's nothing special about us apart from Jesus Christ. We're servants of his. We hear, we trust, we obey. And that works itself out in number two, because he says we're also stewards. They're not our mysteries. God's given us these mysteries to hold on to, the church, Jesus you know, they, they are mysteries because they don't make sense to our finite um, human wisdom. And we're stewards of these mysteries. And, and this is, we talk about up, in, and out a lot here at Trinity Life as well. These are rhythms of life that we talk about. Your up would be your spiritual disciplines, prayer, reading the word, um, fasting, being in community uh, would be in. And guys, going back to disciplines, this is what's, we want to know our identity in Christ. We want to experience more of the Spirit. But we have trouble just reading our Bible regularly, right? We have trouble praying and having a fruitful, prayerful life regularly. We have trouble with intimacy in God. But that's the way we have intimacy with God. Those those ways. We have trouble sometimes being in community. We don't want to share problems with people. We don't want to be transparent. We don't want to... Uh, you know, be open about those things. But the Bible says, when we are, we get to carry them together. We live in community. We get to experience the unity of the Spirit together. And then missions um, out. We don't want to serve in St. Jamestown. You know, we have, we 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 love the idea, especially the millennial generation. If that's you, you love the idea of serving. Our city loves it. We're passionate about everything. Um, I talked about this with someone this week. Uh, we're passionate about everything, but we're not very action oriented. We talk a lot of, we talk a lot of um, good things, but our passion kind of dies out. But out is a huge part of just living on mission in our city, of being Christ to our city, and being stewards of the mysteries of God. And here's, here's the thing, um, going back to that statement, you can only understand your identity in Christ uh, as much as you experience the spirit of Christ. Thing is, we as the church live. Uh, the church is plagued by a culture of mediocrity, by a culture of um, the status quo, by everything's okay. Like let's just maintain what we have. But the spirit of Christ in the scriptures never creates that culture. The spirit of the Christ, spirit of Christ in the scriptures always creates a culture of expectation not a culture of mediocrity and so when you see the Spirit of the Lord come on somebody in in the Old Testament and and just come upon them it says uh, you see them rise up with power you see them do something amazing you see something just fantastic happen and then when when Pentecost happens and the spirit and the spirit um, descends, in Acts chapter 2, people are saved and people are people's lives are transformed and things just things just change. Everything changes when the Spirit shows up. And it's amazing. You see the church throughout Acts, and every time they gather, they're expecting something to happen. Because they know the Spirit of God is with them. And they expect something to happen in their midst. When they get together to pray. Um, They say, we're going to pray for Peter to get out of jail. And what do you know? Peter breaks free out of jail, not of his own accord. An angel of the Lord. Same thing happened with Paul and Silas. Same thing happened whenever the church gathers. Something happens because they're expecting it to happen. They recognize that they are the temple of God. They have the fullness of the Spirit with them. And another thing, if that's true and you each have the spirit if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't just expect something to happen to you when we gather. You should expect something to happen through you when we gather. You need to expect God to do something through you. And I'm not just talking about Sundays, guys. Um, yes, we should have a culture of expectation here, but in your small groups, our body life groups, when we're living on mission in our city, when you're praying with your families, like I expect when We pray with our daughters every night for God to just transform their hearts. Why else would I pray? I expect when I come here on Sunday mornings for God to do something in somebody's heart. Why else would we do this? You know, when when you gather in your body life group, you should expect somebody's burdens to be carried. You should expect these one another principles to be lived out. You should expect the Spirit of God to transform you and to use you to do something in someone else's life. And that's the culture we want to live in. That's the culture we want to create because that's the culture of the Spirit of the Lord on us, in us, and through us. We just need to learn how to experience the Spirit of Christ through hearing, trusting, and obeying, through up, through in, through out. And here's the awesome thing. We get to do it together. We don't have to do it separately. We get to do it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving yourself to us. You didn't give us an angel to to help us out. You gave us yourself to empower us to live this life that is really hard to your glory. And so we praise you for that. We praise you that we get to do it together praise you that we don't, we don't have to do it in isolation. We weren't designed to do it in isolation. We we're designed to do it in the body of Christ and we can depend on one another. And to the world that may look like weakness, but we know that in our weakness is your strength. We know that in our lack is your power. And so we pray that now you just give us expectation that we would expect great things from a great God because you are a great God and that you would do something in our midst today. And we may not see it, but we're always going to expect it. It may be in our hearts, it may be physical, it may be spiritual, it may be emotional or mental, but we're always going to commit to expecting something great from you because you're a great God and you expect nothing less of yourself. We're not demanding anything of you that you don't already uh, hold yourself to. So we call upon you, God, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit to bring your presence here and to rest on us and to do something in our midst. We ask in your name. Amen.